Hey everybody, welcome to Mining Stock Daily. It's Friday, time for another in-depth interview. We've got a very special guest, that's Eric Jensen from EMX Royalty. And I know EMX has got 100 or more than that uh, assets in their portfolio, but I wanted to discuss specifically Sweden and Norway, mineral exploration in that region with Eric, because he's been working the area for about 10 years now. And if you haven't noticed, they've done a lot of deals uh, out of those two countries in the last year. <laughs> so we, we discuss a lot about Scandinavia and um, all the mineral exploration activity in that area. So it's a really long conversation, runs about 40 minutes. So I'm going to try to keep this intro short and uh, play that interview with for you. I would like to give a special thanks to our sponsors at Integra Resources, Western Copper and Gold, Brixton Metals, and Pacific Empire Minerals. Thank you so much for your support of Mining Stock Daily. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this interview with Eric, and we'll see you in the end. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall. I am sitting here in the EMX Royalty Office with Eric Jensen, who's one of my favorite geologists because I've known Eric for a couple of years. He is the general manager of exploration uh, on the global scale for the company. And if you haven't been following EMX, uh, they are traded on the TSX and the NYSC with the symbol EMX. They are the royalty generator with a very unique business model. I'm happy to say I do do contract work with the company and I'm also a shareholder. And one of the things I really wanted to focus on here today in this conversation with Eric is the company's work in Scandinavia. So before we get started in that conversation, Eric, welcome back to Mining Stock Daily again. Yep. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks and, for having me, Trevor. And, you know, we've been trying to do this uh, conversation specifically <laughs> on Scandinavia, like, for about three or four months. I remember at PDAC, I yep. was like, Eric, let's do it. Let's do this interview. Like, let's talk about Scandinavia. Like, okay, give me one minute. And then it just never happened. You know, we tried to, we tried a number of times, but you were very busy. And then you said you're back in Denver for two days. So yeah, it's like, quite fortuitous. Yeah, it's like, right. all right, I'm going to drop everything I need to do and make sure you and I connect. How are you? Uh, how's the travel? How's the spring going for you and EMX? Yeah, obviously, yeah, we had a really busy year. And I think uh, if you look at our stock chart on the on the, the Canadian TSX side, it looks you know things look pretty good for us. We've been doing really well. Uh, it's been a great uh, you know 12 months, both from the financial standpoint, but also on the exploration side. Uh, we, we're having a lot of work done on our projects right now and really good deal flow. And obviously, one of the challenges our whole sector is seeing the headwinds in the exploration market, the availability of capital for exploration. But we've been very successful at identifying groups and partners that, can, that have capital that can bring to bear on these projects. Great deal flow right now. So we've had a really good start to 2019. I guess we're halfway through at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. And, so, you know, I think part of what everybody was wanting, was asking in Q1, of 2019 is what are you doing with the Malmish money? What are you doing with the Malmish money? And I think the last four or five months we've actually been able to see exactly what that strategy is. Not only uh, do you have geos out there staking new claims throughout the world, but you're also we're seeing new strategic investments and yeah. in things like Corvus Gold and Millrock. Um, and also, obviously, we're seeing a lot of new stuff in Scandinavia, which what we're going to get to. But are we finally starting to see um, the level of, of activity that this company's actually able to capitalize on now that that Malmish money is, is available and you can do more with? Great question. Uh, yeah, obviously, we're going to be really careful 
and selective in how we deploy the, that, that capital. And one of the advantages that we have, having a stout treasury in what looks like a pretty difficult market to say the least on the expiration side has put us in a highly advantageous position. And our limitation right now isn't capital, it's actually time and, and human resources. We have so many opportunities that are being presented to our company right now. It's been a challenge for our technical group to just to keep up with the, the reviews yeah. of these things. Yeah. But that presents a great opportunity for ourselves and our shareholders because we're going to be looking for these unusual, you know, two, three sigma type opportunities, uh, investments that we'd have a hard time just saying no to. So right. we're looking for absolute high value, uh, uh, no-brainer type opportunities. And that's kind of how we saw the, the Millrock and the Corvus uh, uh, royalty and strategic placement uh, agreements. Th those were great fits for all the companies that were involved. Uh, the Millrock one specifically in the Good Pasture District and the Pogo District of Alaska, this is a place there's an ongoing significant expansion to the, the Pogo system. Uh, by the operator there, and we've staked, you know, we, we, via Millrock, we, we've now acquired a substantial uh, royalty position off to the, you know, along, basically along the projection of where that expiration is heading to the west and the northwest in that system. Very excited about that. We believe strongly in Millrock's business model and how they've executed their business through the years. And we think that was a great win-win for both companies. We did the same thing with Corvus. We really liked the positions that they had, the royalties that we were able to acquire. And also we believe in that, that, that group of people and that company. I think Jeff Pontius has had a stellar track record. Incidentally, Jeff gave me, uh, was, uh, gave me one of my first jobs as a geologist in the industry oh, really? many years ago. So I've known Jeff for a long time. And he's always had, a, it's always been fun to watch him as his career has gone on because he's had, he's one of these people that tends to be serially successful and we really hope that we're, 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 we believe we made a very good bet in that case, yeah. and we're really, uh, yeah, really excited about the possibilities of working with them. You know, real quick, you and I were chatting before we started recording about the news from Corvus Gold earlier this week about yeah. the, there seemed to be a new gold silver mineralization um, outside of well, it's within the mother load, but maybe underneath the mother load deposit. Yeah. And you kind of gave me this smirk, it's like, yeah, I know. When I read yeah. that news release, uh, I think it was yesterday, I was like, holy shit, yeah. this project just got a hundred times more interesting. And it was a great project already. I mean, so what is it? I mean, what does that tell you? I know you don't necessarily want to speak directly for the company, but like, since you are invested in Corvus Gold, you know through EMX, like what is, what does something like that mean for that project? Is it is it a, a game changer for Motherload? Well, it, it's we're very bullish, and again, we're looking for what we believe to be very high value, low risk investments where there's a great technical upside, and we looked at that very carefully before we made that that decision to move forward with them. There's a reason we did that. We believe in what they're doing, and I think, uh, yeah, when Jeff talks about this, his eye, his eyes kind of twinkle, and you can see what. What we believe is, uh, yeah, a project with great upside, and that's going to continue to deliver. That, that's been Jeff's modus operandi through his career. It's a good bet for us. We're very excited about it. Well, and I think what's also important to know is that you guys aren't just, you know, you're not just a bank, right? You're not just yeah. delivering the money to help projects kind of further. You're also taking an equity position in a lot of these companies. I mean, I know you yeah. took an equity position in Millrock. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head if you did the same thing yeah. with Corvus, yes. but no. you did. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you, you are, the company's putting their money where, yeah. They're playing, right? And that's really important. And the outcomes are, are exactly what we're looking for as a corporation, as a major shareholder in EMX. It's what I'm looking for, too. We like the royalty exposure, but we also we have the, the, the near-term upside 
with the uh, equity positions in those companies. And already we're seeing that with Corvus. That was a nice delivery. Yeah. Uh, those are nice intercepts in that recent press release. And we're very, uh, yeah, we're <laughs> certainly bullish, obviously bullish on the opportunity, right, right. having made that decision to do that. So these are the sort of things we're looking for. We're being very strategic in how we identify these opportunities. They have to come with a great technical, uh, sorry, an upside potential that our technical team can recognize that we believe is under misunderstood in the market in some ways. And if you looked at, yeah, Corvus's recent uh, depression in the share price, that was a, just a really interesting opportunity to come in at a time when we just saw a lot of upside there, and we're right. starting to recognize that now, obviously. Okay, yeah. so let's stop talking about the Americas, and let's move over to the topic of interest for this conversation, and that's Scandinavia. And it, <clears throat> boy, Emax has got their hands full in just two different countries, Sweden and Norway. Yeah. Uh, you haven't touched Finland, and we can get into that later about why that is, but we're just gonna focus on those two countries. EMX is the largest mine claim holder of in Sweden, no, Norway, no, excuse no. me, and the second yeah. in Sweden. Sec yeah, if you add all our property positions together, our royalty properties and our, our exploration properties in, uh, in Sweden, we're the second largest uh, holder of mineral rights behind Boliden, which is the leader, and they've been the, that's the big operating company that has the significant presence in uh, Sweden and Finland. And we are the largest mineral rights holder right now in Norway. We made a solid bet on Norway because we believe that Norway has been forgotten uh, in some ways in Scandinavia. Uh, these th well, when I say Scandinavia, I should say Fennoscandia and include Finland, uh, the Fennoscandian Peninsula. If you look at this area, uh, there's about 30, roughly 30 active mines uh, in this region. There's a lot of mineral production that comes from this area. This is the heart of Europe's mineral, uh, uh, mineral industry. Uh, we have the largest open pit copper mine, the ITEC mine, which is a bleeding operation in northern Sweden. Uh, Agnico Eagles Kittila mine in Finland is the largest uh, gold deposit and gold mine in Europe right now as well. So the largest underground iron mine in the world is in uh, Kiruna in northern Sweden. That's an IOCG-like deposit. And so there's quite a legacy of production and uh, discovery and mineral advancement. And not only has this happened recent, in recent times with the current activity in the mining sector, they've been doing this for a thousand years. This, this is nothing new to the people in, in Fennoscandia. They've been producing minerals for millennia. Mm -hmm. So they're very experienced at that. It's part of their culture. It's not something foreign or exceptional to them. When you talk about exploration, the people understand it. And that's a, that's a huge advantage in terms of opera, uh, the, the ability to operate. I should also mention in southern Sweden, where we're quite active, there's two world-class operation, mining operations there. There's Lundin's zinc uh, 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 zinc uh, primarily a zinc deposit, but also it's a polymetallic system. Uh, that's a great deposit. And uh, they're continuing to rapidly expand that with an aggressive ongoing exploration program. And of course, Boliden's Garpenberg deposit, which is a plus 100 million ton uh, well, VMS-like system. It's a polymetallic uh, replacement or VMS-like system in southern Sweden. That's a gargantuan uh, deposit of that class as well. And those things are, you know, the uh, Garpenberg's a very low-cost producer. It's a fantastic operation. So numerous examples of world-class, truly world-class uh, type deposits yeah. in production in this region. Do you think it's a misconception by many investors and resources and mining that Scandinavia is a great, maybe they think Scandinavia isn't a great just because the government's too liberal, the taxes are too uh, high or something like that. Like, why would anybody mine there? But there's actually a lot going on there on the resource, not only exploitation resources, but also exploration as well. Yeah, that, that's, that's, you hit on a really key point. Uh, when I first started considering Scandinavia, what they're, what they're known for, of course, are the socialist 
uh, type political policies and things of that sort. And that's true for like uh, in terms of personal taxation rates in, in the Fennoscandian countries, they have very high taxation rates. But I was shocked to find how entrepreneurial these countries are, how capitalistic and how aggressive they are at promoting uh, the advancement of industry. For example, the uh, total effective tax rate in Sweden, if you look at the corporate income tax rates plus any other fees that are assessed to that, it's around the 23, 24%. It's got a 22% corporate income tax rate. That's highly competitive. Norway just lowered their, 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 total, their corporate income tax rate. Their total effective tax rates in the mid-20s as well. Though, across the board, those are fantastic. There's no ad valorem uh, royalties or anything like that. So yeah, the, the total effective tax rates are amongst the most competitive in, the, in the, the, the mineral sector, I would argue. A huge advantage these countries also have is the availability of skilled labor in the mining and exploration professions. These are people who have been doing this for a thousand years. You have your pick of a lot of uh, resources that can be brought to local resources, in-country resources that can be dedicated to helping us advance our projects. And a massive advantage is the availability of cheap power. A lot of people probably don't understand this, but about a third of the operating cost in mining is power consumption. And so if you're buying power at 20 euro cents per kilowatt hour, which is the average in Europe, uh, that's, you know, that's a significant component of your operating cost. The commercial contracts for power purchase in, for example, Norway and Sweden are in the four to five euro cents per kilowatt range. That's about a quarter of what it is for the rest of the, the, the continent, and that is a huge advantage for mining. And that's why some of these operations like ITEC and Garpenberg, Belieden's flagships in Sweden, have some of the lowest cutoff grades mm -hmm. in the world because you can afford to mine much lower grades and be successful uh, in these operations in Fennel because of the low cost of power and that fantastic fiscal regime they have with the low tax rates for for. For, uh, on the corporate side of things. It's a really, uh, yeah, we, we've been <laughs> shocked at how, uh, how you know, ad advantageous those, uh, the fiscal regimes are in those countries. Another key point, too, that, that, that we should point out is uh, they also have very transparent regulatory frameworks. Uh, it's easy to acquire ground there. Uh, so on the regulatory side, you know where you, you can work and where you can't work. And I can, perm for example, I can permit a drill program in Sweden in about four to five, maybe six weeks at the, at the, at the outset. Wow. So four to five weeks is typical. Same thing in Norway. It takes about a month to permit a drill program. And there are very few places in the world that I've worked, in, including the other countries, that, the other jurisdictions that EMX works in, where you can advance things that rapidly in the exploration phase of projects. It's fantastic. And it sounds like the, the national governments in those countries are actually even trying to improve that. They get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Norway, for example, the, the, it's become clear that the petroleum resources in recent years have started to decline. Now, they've had some uh, successes there last year that have uh, bolstered their, uh, the petrol, their, their resource sheet balance sheets, but the uh, overall, it's clear that Norway wants to try to diversify its economy, and you know, the oil's been their, their, yeah. their critical uh, contributor since the mid-1970s, the discovery of those massive resources and reserves in the North Sea, for example. So for the last 40 years, that's been their focus, but people forget that Norway was a mining company, uh, sorry, a mining country, and it actually was a company, the government had a government uh, state-run enterprise that ran their, their, uh, their, their mine development in Norway. And they were a mining country prior to the mid-1970s. The Roros Copper District, which is where we have a lot of, uh, quite a number of projects in uh, south-central Norway, was one of Europe's big copper producers up until the mid-1970s. So from six, the 1640s 
through the uh, mid-1970s, the Roros Copper Company, which was a state-run enterprise in Norway, produced quite a bit of Europe's copper. People have forgotten that, and that's a big district with a great legacy. Tens of millions of tons of, of ore were produced from that district. And it's funny, because when you read the review papers, they talk about five to 10 million tons of uh, ore that were produced from Roros. But that can be the total for individual mines. We started compiling information from there. We found that, that the significance of that district was grossly understated. Now, that wasn't lost in the Swedes who attacked Norway in the 1700s, trying to gain control of that, uh, that copper district. But Sweden, likewise, has had a tremendous legacy, a thousand-year history. The, the Fallon copper deposit in southern Sweden produced about two-thirds of the world's copper up until the, uh, that in the 1600s and 1700s. That was in production. That's been in production for a thousand years and finally went out of production in the early 1990s. So there are very few places where you've seen a thousand years of continuous mining history globally, and you see that here. Oh, that's really interesting. So when did you jump in in the <laughs> so, thousand year interest? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. one of my questions. He's like, you know, you, you obviously yeah. love this jurisdiction. You've been, you know, when, when did you first think about it? And then when did you literally just cut boots on the ground and start doing your work? Yeah, great question. So, uh, yeah, I joined EMX or what it was called Eurasian Minerals back in 2010. Uh, when they bought a, a private company that I was a co-founder of. And so we merged uh, a company called Bronco Creek into EMX back in 2010. And they had just started working in Northern Europe. Uh, and this was spearheaded by a geologist named Duncan Large. Uh, Duncan was the guy who led our initial exploration efforts in Serbia back when EMX or Eurasian Minerals at the time was involved in Serbia in the early 2000s. That, that portfolio went on to become Reservoir Minerals that was uh, in that they were taken over by Nevsun, which is now was taken out by Zagin. So we have some residual royalties in Serbia. They did really uh, fantastically well there. So when I joined EMX, Duncan Large, this was a renowned base metal sediment hosted base metal geologist in Europe, was working for both EMX and also for Reservoir at the time. And, and Duncan had said we should be making a bet in Northern Europe. He recognized all these these advantages. His network of other associates had told him there are great opportunities here. And so when I came. To EMX in 2010, we just started populating a portfolio in Scandinavia. We had an alliance for a few years with Antofagasta, in which we were looking for porphyry-like systems, and we built a big portfolio with them, uh, looking at a variety of opportunities, mainly in Sweden. But what we ended up finding were, were more so IOCG and VMS-like uh, systems, and that wasn't appealing to them at the time. And so we took the portfolio and advanced that on our own. In 2016, we had four projects that, were, that had been filtered from that original group of about 20, uh, 20 property interests we had. Those four projects we vended into a company called Boreal Metals, which has gone on and made what it looks like and is making an incipient uh, discovery right now in the Bergslagen region, not far from Garpenberg. A great, uh, they've had some really great, we had some nice drill successes earlier this year that we had uh, press released. Uh, so they've had some good success there. And then after we did the deal with Boreal, I've been restocking the portfolio. So in 2017, uh, during that was about, you could argue that was uh, a critical time, uh, time during the recent downturn. A lot of companies had lost uh, their ability to maintain their treasuries. They were dropping property positions. And much of the coveted land positions in Sweden, and we had quite a short list of opportunities that we had been watching for a number of years came open. And so 2017, 2018, uh, EMX went on a staking rampage as these properties were coming available and companies were dropping projects. And we acquired over 30 projects in that time period, which makes the core of our portfolio. And those things were quickly vended out into a whole series of other 
uh, agreements. Uh, companies like Cell32, uh, we were working with a number of uh, startup companies that took parts of our portfolio and are now advancing those things. We're working with uh, uh, George and Doug Cavey uh, out, of, uh, out of Vancouver. They liked uh, part of our portfolio in Norway, and Nora Metals now is advancing a group of those assets. So a lot of these things were really born of an opportunity that came as companies exhausted their ability to hold projects in, in Fennel Scandia, and we jumped on those opportunities. So in 2017, you really acquired a number of these properties, and then it almost seemed about mid-2018, I think maybe was the Boreal deal probably the first big one out of... Yeah, that was in late 2016. Oh, late yeah, it was 2016. Yeah. But it almost seemed like... Late, you know, mid to late 2018 and up, you know, even to a couple of weeks ago, like yeah. EMX has just been having deal after deal strictly in this jurisdiction. I mean, you mentioned Nora Metals, uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned Boreal, I mean, Playfair's Play there, yep. and then Goldline, Goldline which is a private company. Yeah. Uh, I'm, there's probably another one I'm missing. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't, yeah, we didn't, South 32. It's South 32. As well. And so, it almost seemed like all this happened in a matter of months, which is a very quick time frame <laughs> yeah. in the mining world, right? So, yeah. was it, you know, how much of that was you going out there networking these projects to those companies, and how much of it was those companies literally just figuring out that Scandinavia is probably a good place to be more involved in? Well, Trevor, I think it's a combination of, of both those things and some other things as well. Yeah, it's a great, I think once we started, we, we've been beating this drum for a while because the, the, you know, the permitting time frames, the availability of, of highly prospective mineral real estate, the legacy of production, the world-class districts, extensions of these things that, you know, we're looking at extensions, other zones of mineralization along the same belts. Uh, just it's great, great, great addresses, great fiscal regimes, highly functional. And for some reason, this had just sort of slipped beneath the radar for a lot of, a lot of people in the investment communities and for mining companies. It, you know, one thing about Scandinavia, or Fennoscandia, I should say, is that it did not open up to international investment in the mineral sector into the early 1990s. It was very late. And so it wasn't until 1992, 1993 that these companies, the countries, sorry, became open for investment. They had regulatory frameworks that, pre that precluded investment uh, in the mineral sector prior to that by international companies. So in the mid-1990s, this opened up for international investment long after many other jurisdictions had done so. And so the, the, the history of exploration in these areas has been from the state-run enterprises that dominated that, that landscape prior to the 1990s. But we've only been working here for, really the international group has only seen a couple of decades mm -hmm. of activity here. Uh, and so it, it's still fairly juvenile and there's a lot of exploration that can be done here and a lot of upside potential yeah. yet to be realized. I think it's also important to kind of mention these projects are on different timelines of a mine cycle, right? Yeah. So you have sure. very early, uh, just basically land positions all the way to uh, projects that were formerly producing mines, such as the Blake Vosley mine yeah. in Norway, right? That's a, great, that's a great point. In fact, I'd say a commonality amongst all of our projects is that each of these has uh, some historic mining activity on the project. And that's basically what we've been doing here is picking what we consider to be low-hanging fruit. We're, we're looking at mineral belts and deposit types that we think are prospective, but instead of staking Greenfields plays that don't have any work done on them, we're staking mining districts. Places like, for example, the Gumsburg project, which is Boreal's flagship, that had been mined since the mid-1200s. Uh, mid so all through that was the largest silver producer in Sweden in medieval times. Uh, Radar Hitton is with Salt32's project that we have in partnership with them. That's one of the long uh, copper and iron producers in, in Sweden. It's been in production since the, the 1500s. 
uh, over in Norway in the Roros district since you know, we have projects that are littered with old mining operations, uh, including one of Norway's biggest metal producers up until the, the mid-1990s. Uh, a place called Schillingdal in our Kioli project in southern in the rural district of Norway. You know, we can just walk up. We just walked up and acquired that, and that's had hundreds of years of mining production on it and a whole series of old historic mines. And so, we're really what we're looking at here, and we're acting as though this is greenfields that we're able to acquire these these make these acquisitions directly. But yet, these are places that have seen historic mining, and they're fundamentally brownfields types opportunities. And so, this isn't a lot of what we're doing isn't even isn't all that sophisticated. It's just Here's a mine that was mined in medieval times. They could pump water down to about 200 meters. That's as deep as the mining went. And now we're drilling below those in a long strike. And that's the best, it's the highest probability of hitting mineralization. If you look at Gumsberg, Boreal's drill results of the last two years drilling in that system, the hit rates are you know, outstanding. And some of those intercepts are, are really remarkable there. But it kind of reminds me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but. Um, let me backtrack a little bit. So I started reading the story of John Mackey in, in Nevada and Comstock, right? And yeah. I'm very early into the book, and so you know I haven't read the whole thing, but it, it made me that what you just said kind of made me think about you know the mid 1800s when there was that the, the gold rush in California, and then Mackey kind of moves into Comstock and finds that huge deposit and takes control of it. But even today, you know, Nevada as a jurisdiction is still benefiting from better technology. Yeah. Right. Like we we are seeing a lot of gold being able to produce out of Nevada, just based on technology that wasn't there 50 years ago. Like, is that a very similar kind of metaphor for what's happening in Scandinavia right now? Yeah, we often make that comparison. In fact, uh, you know, many of these systems, especially these VMS polymetallic systems, where we see a whole chain of historic mine workings with two or three exploration holes that were drilled in the mid-1970s. If those things were in Nevada, for example, these gold products we have, that gold belt in central Sweden that we acquired, you know, if that thing was in Nevada, it would have thousands and thousands of drill holes in it. There's no way that you can find something like that yeah. with these outcropping uh, zones of mineralization with just a handful uh, of drill holes, if that. I mean, we, we're walking up and we're finding mineralization exposed at the surface gold mineralization in a belt that's got two multi-million ounce deposits, uh, one of which is being put into development uh, right now, and the other one is an advanced project by Agnico Eagle called Barchelet. We're, we've staked along that entire trend. We have outcropping zones of mineralization, some zones that, were, that were, had drilled to find zones of mineralization from back in the 1980s that haven't been evaluated since. You can't find things like that in Nevada. And so to be able to walk up and acquire those at low cost, and then turn that around and crystallize value for our shareholders, that's an unusual thing to be able to do. And that's, and that's why we're so focused here. That's why a third of EMX's global portfolio is here. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is an oversimplified question. So how do you do your job there? You know, when you, when you travel <laughs> to Scandinavia and you have all these projects, what do you do when you go there? I mean, you've got a lot on your plate. And yeah. you, just said, you just mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, you know personal employee capital, like there's, You've got more work than you've got employees to do. Yeah, that yeah, that is certainly the case. The partnerships help because our partners, like Playfair, you mentioned earlier, they've done a great job at putting uh, 
resources uh, to, to bear on, on what's a really neat, neat opportunity there. The, the Rosvanian project, which I really like, and the, and the Kvikni area up over there in Vakelian, the, 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 the project cluster that they acquired, they were doing a lot of work. We're working in, in conjunction with them. Uh, Goldline Resources, uh, this new company we're working with in the Gold Belt in the central, central uh, Sweden, uh, they've been highly supportive. we got a big team working there right now. Uh, uh, you know, Boreal's drill has multiple drill programs in the last 12 months and, and, more, and uh, the two it, projects. It seems like there. they just keep delivering every time they have a yeah. drill result. It's almost like you, you got to, yeah. <laughs> there's more. There's it's more. been frustrating because the market, you know, like a lot of exploration companies, their share price hasn't reacted. But that, you know, those drill intercepts at Gumsburg were pretty remarkable and we're pretty, we're very excited about what we know is in the ground there now. That's a new discovery adjacent to an old historic district that was operated again back in the medieval times. So, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, but what I do when I fly in there, you know, I'll fly into Stockholm or Oslo. It's, uh, it's about the same uh, length of time it takes you to get to Santiago or Peru, for example, from North America. It's about the same uh, travel time to get there. And we've got a pretty big team in the ground. I think I've got 15 geologists on the ground right now in Scandinavia on the EMX side, plus our partners' resources as well. So we're well resourced. A lot of that is paid for uh, by our partnerships with other companies, but we do a lot of our own work as well. But it's a big team. I've got a very good manager who's based in, uh, in Stockholm. We also have a field office where the Geological Survey of, of Sweden is located, a town called Malo. We've got a big house there that we bought uh, with a bunch of uh, outbuildings. Uh, uh, a shockingly low price it was a great deal for EMX, and we, we guide a lot of our operations out of there. But the infrastructure in these countries is fantastic. You know, with the fjords and, and the uh, topography in Norway, they put airports all over the country uh, there. And air travel is very easy in Sweden as well. Sometimes I take the train up north, uh, take an overnight train. You can go from southern Sweden to northern Sweden overnight. But logistics and uh, infrastructure, you can drive almost anywhere to any of these project sites with a, rental, with, with a Volvo yeah. station wagon rental car. So. Yeah, I'd love to get a picture of that, Eric. <laughs> oh, they, yeah, the access is phenomenal because in Sweden they put all these for they over-engineer their forestry roads and they put them all over the whole country. So you're very, very seldom more than a few kilometers away from good road access to any part of our properties or projects, yeah. and usually it's a lot closer than that. So the access is phenomenal. So you, you actually just mentioned the forestry in, in this area, and, and I was actually wanted to ask you like if that's a if that's a challenge for you because when I think of this area yeah. of the world, I think of real high vegetative area where you you, you don't necessarily just go yeah. stop it through. It's not the arid Nevada desert or anything like that, right? It's completely True. different. So is that is that a challenge for exploration? No, it's a huge synergy actually. That's a very interesting. Uh, not many people pick up on that, but yeah, the forestry is a major concern in both primarily in Sweden, but also in Norway as well. And the forestry company in Sweden, which is one of the big landholders there, uh, they own the surface uh, land rights and they're very cooperative. So we like to have uh, projects that have a lot of forestry land because they see the extractive industries and theirs as sort of parallel and they see this as a, as a synergy with what they're doing. So it's really easy to work with them. If we need access to, if we want to use their for, private forestry roads, They've never said no. They're just like, no, yeah, just make sure if we do some damage and repair that in the roads. They're really easy to work with. Same in Norway. Yeah. So let's, oh, since this is mining stock daily and stock being the key word, yeah. from your um, perspective, are we seeing more capital investment into this jurisdiction? And is it, you know, at to, to what extreme? Is it coming in faster than you'd expect, not as fast as you'd like, or? 
Good question. Uh, I think <laughs> we've been a leader there. I think we've attracted quite a bit of capital amongst it with our partnerships and the interest that we've helped focus on, on this region. I think other co uh, companies like Agnico Eagle, the big project they have in central Sweden, the, the Barshley project, which the published uh, resource numbers from earlier this year from Barshley were over 2 million ounces in that system. Uh, having companies working there like that also uh, rapidly advancing products uh, helps quite a bit. You know, Boliden has been a longtime explorer. They've been pretty quiet though. They're not well known outside of the out of Northern Europe, but you know they're, they're always very aggressive in terms of exploration. That company has averaged an economic discovery almost every three years since of its existence since the mid-1920s. Wow. So if you look at Boliden's track record of exploration success, the number of discoveries they made, divide that by the 100 years they've been in operation, it's almost every one every three years. That's a fantastic success rate, and we hope to emulate that. And so they're the largest uh, mineral rights holder in Sweden. We're the second largest, and, and yeah, <laughs> so we're... Yeah. Yeah. But when you when you travel to the area and so you you actually go and have FaceTime with a number of these partners that you've done deals with there are about half a dozen yeah. you know how does that what what is that interaction like I mean I, I, you know I'm, I assume you're not there micromanaging anything because you're not a micromanaging guy but like what is that interaction between EMX and those partners actually what What's the work like Yeah we're very friendly because we're all we're all in this together and so EMX has equity stakes in all of these companies. And so all of us are synergized and are, are co-motivated to be successful with this. So it's a very good cooperative relationship in, in every partnership we have. And that ranges from uh, South 32, where we're the operator. We do the, you know, they, they have a high level approval uh, system in place for you know, the funding for the project and, and, and the overall scope of the exploration projects. But they really let us run it. And they really put, put a lot of confidence into our team there. And hopefully we, we're, we'll be we're able to reward them for that. And that's the same for other partnerships too. We work very closely with Boreal. I'm on the phone with them almost every day, uh, talking about what our next moves are, what what the, you know what 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 comes next in the exploration programs, etc. I just was talking to Playfair this morning. I exchanged emails with uh, with uh, George uh, Cavey, uh, Nora uh, yesterday, and we'll have some more exchanges today. So yeah, we work quite closely together. And so yeah, I, I think in terms of upside, and just the investment that's taken place here, there's I, I think. Like a lot of companies, most of these partners are critically undervalued in a tough exploration sector. I'd argue the same thing for EMX, although our share price has done, you know, we've done pretty well over the past year, but I, I still think there's, <laughs> that doesn't fully reflect the value we're, we're creating here and elsewhere. So Eric, when you talk about uh, this juris global jurisdiction um, in both Norway and uh, Sweden, and people are always like, so, you know, what metals are you exploring for? Like, it's really... It's quite broad, actually, especially yeah. in EMX's portfolio in this in these two countries, right? It's not just gold; it's a lot of base metals, copper. Yeah. So, uh, you know, give us kind of a rundown of what that portfolio, just commodity base, looks like. Yeah, that may see that when you just look at the map and you see all these different icons for partnered properties and available properties and, and commodity types, it does look a little scatter shot, but it's actually not. We have a very specific focus, and so in 2017. We were primarily, we, we took a good look at gold because that gold line, we, we knew a lot of licenses along what's called the gold line, this greenstone belt in central Sweden were gonna come available in 2017. And so we were primed, we were ready with our finger on the buy and the, the, uh, the application send button on our computers when those licenses came available. So we made gold in central Sweden to focus that year. And we, we were rewarded with a really nice portfolio of gold projects. 
uh, as a result of that focus. But then we also like the polymetallic VMS districts of Bergslagen and the Rurals district, the VMS district in central Norway. Those are polymetallic lead, zinc, silver uh, systems that also have a precious metal component. So those are truly polymetallic systems. We especially like the ones with silver and gold enrichment, but we like the zinc, lead, uh, and copper exposure from those, those types of uh, those types of deposits because they have multiple metals in them. So if one one commodity happens to be off in the market, another one's up. We can capitalize that. It gives us good leverage. The other the other uh, uh, class of deposits that I've been really aggressive about acquiring, and we're still doing this right now, are nickel, copper, and cobalt deposits. They're these uh, magmatic sulfide deposits that are known throughout this region. In fact, if you do a plate reconstruction back in the Proterozoic, the belt that in, of troctolites and mafic intrusions that includes Voises Bay comes over to this part of the world. So a lot of these intrusions in Fennoscandia are of that age and they have the same styles of mineralization. And so you can think of this as the as a belt of the same age mineralization as Voises Bay on the east side of the Atlantic. Those things were together back in the Proterozoic and they've now, of course, with the opening of the Atlantic Ocean, they've been spread apart. So a few people have forgotten that, but this is the same belt and there are nickel sulfide occurrences throughout this region. And so I think with the battery metals technologies that are advancing so rapidly, and I've been a nickel bull for two years, and I think we're starting to see the price movement and the supply and demand fundamentals that underpin that come into play right now. I'm very bullish on where nickel's headed. And so we've been very aggressive at acquiring those types of assets. And especially for a continent like Europe, which has emphasized the conversion to green technologies, electric cars, the use of cobalt, and nickel in particular, but also copper is going to be quite robust. And they made it very clear, the EU has, that they hope to locally source those materials. And this is the belt in, in, in Europe where you're going to find those commodities all together in these nickel sulfide deposits. So that's a great opportunity for us. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because it almost seemed from what I've read that this area really wants to provide transparency of the supply chain, which exactly. typically wasn't there before. Especially with cobalt. Especially with cobalt. Yeah. And, um, and it's not just for electric vehicles, but it's all for advanced infrastructure, whether it's ener uh, energy generation, renewable energy, EVs, whatever it's going to take. But it, it definitely seems like these two countries want to be the main suppliers, right? Not that, just for the EU, but on a global scale. That, that's right. And if you look at you know cobalt in particular, the last couple of years, there's been a lot of activity here. We've got quite a number of products of that sort. But I think nickel is nipping at, that, at, at its heels, and I think nickel is going to become a displacive type of tech, uh, commodity for, for the use in those materials and those technologies. And you know, Norway, for example, will be the first, is going to be the first country to convert to an, an all-electrical vehicle fleet. So they've mandated that conversion for all new vehicle sales. I think by 2025 in Norway, they're the first country to really do that. Ironically, this is one of the greatest per capita petroleum producers in the world, <laughs> arguably. Uh, but yet they're going to be they're going to leading the, the the charge for conversion to EV technologies. And that green technology will spread throughout Europe. And they have to be and, and they want to source source those technologies with local commodities and locally sourced materials, and we hope to be leading, uh, assisting with that process. Yeah. We want to be one of the leaders. Do you work closely with the governments in those countries? We know the governments very well, and so we have, uh, there's, these are countries, you know, Nor Norway has a population of about, I think, six million people, Sweden's roughly about 10, and so they're small enough in terms of that where you can actually, you, you, when you go into the government offices, you, you're, you're, you recognize the people and everyone knows each other. And so, yeah, we've always trying to maintain good relations with the mines inspectorates in both countries. They know us well because of the amount of activity that we have stimulated there in the recent years. So yeah, we try to maintain a strong relationship there.
So I caught you. You had two days back here at home, basically yeah. to change clothes <laughs> out of your suitcase. It seems like, uh, and then you're 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 back on the ground in this Sweden weekend, yeah. this weekend in Sweden. Uh, how long are you there? What's the work entailed while you're there? And you know, what else is coming down the pipeline here that you might be able to share with the listeners and investors? Yeah, you know, I think some of this is public information. So I can talk. We've been filing new applications in Sweden. We recognize some more opportunities both in, the, in gold and in polymetallic projects, we've been aggressive again. Uh, you know, much of our portfolio has been vended into partnerships, and so we're always looking for the next, uh, next assets and opportunities to fill our pipeline. So we're, we're at, you know, partly focused on that this summer as well, in addition to just advancing the current portfolio. So we have quite a, quite a high level of activity where there's drills turning in this part of the world for us right now. We're gonna have more uh, drill projects later this year. And yeah, just quite a bit going on. So I'm gonna fly in there uh, next week and my activities in, in Sweden and Norway vary from just you know, looking at new opportunities to uh, working with our geologists on the ground, especially some of our younger people, helping to mentor and foster uh, their development and the development of our projects and also working on the administrative side of things as well. So there's a lot of meetings and that we'll go to in addition to the field work. But yeah, I, I get to wear field boots there quite a bit, which is nice. It, 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 well, could all these partners of EMXs basically be running drills all at the same time and then potentially have a number of asset results reported in roughly the same time? So as yeah. quickly as these partners came in to do these deals with EMX, they could just as well have a run of the news at the exact same time like they did? Yeah, we, yeah that's, you know, we're, st we're, we're reaching that point. So, you know, we've, we've had several partners at the drill stage. Uh, we just completed so, uh, two programs uh, recently. And we have some other ones that are about to start. And yeah, then the other products, some of the newer partnerships we formed, like Playfair and Nora, they're still in the, in the target definition stage, but we don't expect it's gonna take them all that long given what we see on these projects. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, just a crescendo of activity in this part of the world for EMX and our partners. Well, it's a really exciting time. And I'm really glad we were able to have this discussion because I think it's something, there's a huge amount of opportunity and value there. I don't think there's enough discussion about it as as this area as a jurisdiction. I agree. Um, and it just boggles my mind just how, when you talk about jurisdictional risk, how this area is not usually at the top of the list behind a lot of Canada and the US. Uh, it may even be better. Yeah, I mean, in terms of permitting timeframes, like I said, for exploration projects, I, I've never seen anything like this in terms of just being able to act. So when you establish a partnership in other countries, and then you have to tell the partner, well, it's two years for us to get a drill permit. <laughs> that kind of puts a damper on enthusiasm. Whereas here, you know, you can be out there drilling the next month practically, and that's a, that's a massive advantage to that. So when these people can come in and make this investment and also see it uh, develop value through the, uh, the execution of programs, that's a big advantage. How, how is uh, drilling cost compared to, say, uh, diamond core drilling here in the States? Yeah, it's quite similar. It's pretty much on par. Okay. Yeah. And, it's, you know, right now the, the U.S. dollar is quite strong, so oh, right. we've seen depressed currencies in this part of the world. I think we're trading at 10 to 1 in terms of the Swedish crown. So, yeah, drilling is quite affordable in, in this part of the world right now. But, yeah, it's typically on par with what we see in North America. All right. Very good. Eric, thank you so much. Uh, 
I always enjoy our conversations. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you for uh, filling us in on, on this area yeah. and all the work EMX has done. Congratulations. And even though I know, I say that knowing that the work, there's still a lot of work to be done. So well, I look forward to future conversations, Trevor. There's always more to talk about. <laughs> there sure. is. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks uh, that, a lot. That's Eric Jensen. He is the manager of global exploration here at EMX Royalty, the royalty generator, which is traded on the TSX and the NYSC with the symbol EMX. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Mining stock dealings affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein.